And good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm, um, I'm here representing the Argent family at the moment because everybody else has COVID. So um, Lily tested positive this morning. So that's, um, that's the whole family down with COVID at the moment. So um, except me, I'm out. I had it last week. So um, I I'm, I'm get to laugh at them as I walk around and then walk out of the house, which they can't do. So um, I must admit, I really struggled this week um, putting this together. Things just haven't come together and flowed like they normally do for me. Um, as you know, I was supposed to give the message last week, but because I was in COVID um, and Sarah was meant to give the message this week, so we just did a bit of a swapsie. Um, but, you know, I had my message all prepared. It was all ready to go. I was going to speak about Stephen's sermon in Acts um, and then his subsequent stoning and, and all of that. And, you know, I was going to talk about belief in the Holy Spirit and, you know, allowing this to empower us and challenge us to speak truth to those around us, no matter what the personal consequences. It was going to be awesome. And so I thought, that's fine. I've got my sermon ready. It's all good. I don't have to do anything this week. I'm all ready to go. And then Monday came along and I just had this overwhelming feeling that nah, that's not what you're going to talk about on Sunday. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's not right. And so I thought, okay, that's fine. Um, and then Danny messaged me Monday night because she was putting the service together and she's like, oh, just wondering, you know, what are you preaching on? What's the scripture going to be like? You know, because I can hopefully like choose some songs that are going to tie in with that theme. And I don't think I was really helpful in my response because I basically said I got no idea what I'm talking about yet. It's um, I did have something prepped, but that's gone out the window now. So Danny said, "That's fine. We'll wing it, and it'll be awesome." Um, and then she said, "Well, seeing as though it's your last week, are there any particular songs you guys would like us to do?" And I said, "Well, I worship led a few weeks ago, and so I kind of did my final hurrah then and picked all the songs that I wanted to do then. So I'm good." Um, Sarah sort of said, here's a few songs I don't want to do, um, and then Judah picked his favourite song, but unfortunately they're not here to hear it this morning. So again, I don't think we were overly that helpful in that part of it either. But um, so here's my normal process for what I do when I put a sermon together, like, and I can say this because Sarah's not here, because my process really stresses her out. Um, I, she sees it as disorganised and not planned. It's completely not the case. I'm, I'm quite disorganised in what I do, but there is method to it. So normally, normally I start with the scripture I'm going to speak around or the topic you know, that I'm going to speak around. And I'll put a lot of thought and a lot of prayer into this, but I won't actually write anything until probably the Friday night or the Saturday morning before I preach. That's when I actually sit down and write it. But I've spent a couple of weeks you know, really thinking about where I'm going to go, praying about the direction. So when it comes time to actually write it, I've kind of got most of it in my head. It just needs to come down on paper. And that's how I used to do all my uni assignments as well. You know, I'd leave them until a few days before they were due and then I'd sit down and I'd smash out a whole major paper in a few hours. Sarah hated me for that because she just is so organised and structured. When she preached last week, she started prepping that sermon four weeks ago. Um, and, you know, did a lot of research, and, and that's just how she works. I don't work that way. If I try and start it early, it just doesn't work for me. I, it, it doesn't come together. So as the week progressed, I was kind of thinking, that's okay, you know, something will come to me, it'll come. Friday night, I still had nothing. Like, not a scripture, not an idea. I literally had nothing. And I was actually starting to get worried. Lily actually suggested that I just get up here this morning and just make it all up on the spot. She's like, you can ad-lib it, it'll be fine. And I'm like, you can't really do that when you're preaching. Like, you know, that's when you start to get some really questionable theology start to show up when we just, you know, name things off the top of our head. 
But um, so while Lily was at youth, Sarah was just checking her emails and she um, has subscribed to a few worship leader forums and things like that and, and they send through all of this stuff and there was this little video, um, it was like a 90 second clip from a, from a worship pastor in the United States and I just listened to it while she was, while she was checking it and it just dug its heels into me and I just went, that's it, that's, that's my message. Um, so then... This is like nine o'clock Friday night. So then I had my idea. I still didn't have a scripture. I still didn't have a direction or anything, but I had the idea. And so then, you know, just praying like mad about where's this going to go? What am I going to do with this? 10 o'clock last night, I sat down and wrote this message. Um, that's what it came down to. It was right down to the wire. So um, I've got to be honest, I'm not 100% sure where this is going to go today. I've got a bit of a script here, but um, it's kind of going to be a... Let's just see where we go. So I think it's probably a good idea that we pray again um, before we get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word um, and just the inspiration um, that it gives us. We thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much that you are alive and active in this world. Lord, we pray this morning that um, as I share what you've given me um, to talk about, Lord, that we would um, come to this with open hearts, open ears and open minds. Lord, I pray that you would just find a way to speak to each one of us here today um, and challenge us to walk closer with you um, and, and live our lives with more devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, and perhaps ironically because Sarah's not here, I'm actually going to preach about worship. Um, I know, right? It's weird. Um, so when I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? Music. Music? Anything else? Whole of life? Anything else? Sorry? Awe, as in awesomeness or being in awe, yep. So that's pretty much the same things that I thought of. You know, for me, it's always been about, you know, going to church or singing songs. But I kind of want to explore a bit this morning, is that all there is to worship? Worship, when you look it up in a dictionary, um, you'll see a definition that says, the feeling or expression of reverence or adoration to a deity. You know, so when we sing our songs, we take communion, um, we pray, we hear the message in church, you know, we're, we're expressing our reverence and our adoration to God through those acts. When we use our gifts and talents, you know, for service, so whether you're leading in kids' ministry, whether you're on the band, whether you're greeting people as they come through the doors, you know, whether you're preaching or whether you're praying, putting the services together, whether you're setting up the chairs, you know, using your gifts and your talents, that's, that's an, an act of adoration. Um, we do it to serve God. So surely those then can be considered as acts of worship as well. It was interesting, when I was doing some reading last night, I found an older version, an older dictionary definition from 1828, in the Webster's Dictionary of 1828. And it says, Worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. Extravagant love and extreme submission. I think they're so beautifully evocative words. You know, they bring all sorts of things to mind. So I want to put it to you today that worship is not just what we do here on a Sunday morning. It's not just the acts that we do. Worship is a response to God that is born from this extravagant love and this extreme submission. You see, our worship 
our worship is defined by the priority that we place on God. It's defined by where God sits in our lives. It's not defined by what we do. It's not defined by what we say. It's defined on where we prioritise God. If you've got your Bibles with you or the Bible app on your phone, I want you to turn to Colossians. I'm going to go to Colossians chapter 3. I don't have it up on the screen, unfortunately, so if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll just have to, to listen to what we say. So Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17 tell us, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Above all of these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So verse 14, right at the start, in the, in the middle there, above all these, put on love. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Why do we love? It's not a rhetorical question. Why do we love? Yeah, exactly. We love... Because we were first loved. Because God first loved us. We can only love because we've been shown what love really is from God. Our love, any, any love that we can show towards anyone or anything, is a direct result of the love that God has shown us. Our love is the ultimate display of worship. You see, love is extravagant and love is extreme. Love makes you do stupid things. And love makes you do incredible things. Love makes you go out on a limb. Love makes you jump without a safety net. Love makes you bold. It makes you believe that you can do anything. And love, dis love does this for us because that's what God's love did. God's love overcame everything. God's love overcame the impossible. God's love breached the gap. It says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With thankfulness. You see, we come to church every Sunday. We sing. We pray, we hear from the Bible, we take communion, we spend time together, we relate to one another in our common faith. But then what happens when we walk out the doors? What happens in our life in between Sunday mornings? And here's what I heard in that video clip on Friday night, and it's really, really challenged me. Remembering that this was done, like this was said by a worship pastor in a church. There are 10,080 minutes in every week. 
10,080. Approximately 80 minutes of those are spent in church on Sunday morning. How many of the remaining 10,000 do we use thinking about or planning for the 80? But more importantly, how many of the 10,000 do we spend in the presence of God, participating in life with him? You see, Jesus doesn't just want to hang out with us on Sunday mornings. Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of your Sunday life. He doesn't want to just be the guy that you call when everything's going wrong and the crap hits the fan. He doesn't want to be the guy that you call when there's no other way out for you. I mean, don't get me wrong, he does want to be there for you in those moments. But that's not all he wants. You see, Jesus wants so much more, and he deserves so much more. When I was growing up, the term Sunday Christian was really popular, like it was kind of the, the, the in-term in churches. And it was all around, you know, the idea of the Sunday Christian is that if somebody was to look at your life, the way you act, the, way you, the things you say, the things you do, they would only be able to know that you're a Christian by looking at your Sunday life. Because for all intents and purposes, you're only a Christian on Sundays. Outside of the church, you know, you didn't act, say, do things that would identify you as a believer of God. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just be our Sunday friend. He wants to be there every day. Jesus invites us to participate with him every day in life. And not just for some little allotted time of the day, like, okay, I will make room for you in this five minutes of my calendar. You know, that's, that's my Jesus time. He wants to participate with us every moment of every day. The invitation's always there, not just for the 80 minutes that we're going to spend together this morning, but for every single second of the 10,080 minutes that exist in your week. The, the, the invite from Jesus to participate in that is there. But how do we do this? Like, how can we, how can we do this? How can we accept that invitation and live that life of extravagant love and extreme submission? And really, it starts with a single choice to make worship a priority in your life. You know, not the kind of priority that you'll try and find some time for it once a week. You know, it's, it's the kind of priority that is non-negotiable. I cannot begin, complete, conclude my day without having done this. It has to be that non-negotiable part. Because you see, it's an outward acknowledgement of who God is and what God has done. It's our outward expression of that gratitude. God doesn't need us to say thank you. I just think about that for a moment. God doesn't need your worship. God doesn't need your gratitude. He's God. And he will always be God. There is nothing you can do, say, be that will make him more godly. There is nothing that you can do, say, or be that will make him more powerful. There is nothing you can do, say, or be that will make him more loving. He is God. He is the ultimate in everything. He doesn't need anything from us. But because we have been shown what love is, because we have been blessed with this extravagant love and extreme submission, the things that go along with that, 
He deserves nothing less than our thanks, our gratitude, our praise and our worship. It's not like we're going to bruise God's ego if we don't do this stuff. But it's the only logical response that we can give him to try and show in some tangible way how much we appreciate what he's done. I want you to flip into the Old Testament with me for a minute, into 1 Chronicles chapter 16. These are some of the most, in my opinion, beautiful words in Scripture. Um, If you want to, just close your eyes as I read these and just picture what comes to mind for you when I read these words. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are just idols, but the Lord made all the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. But let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them among the nations say the Lord reigns. I think some of those are just the most beautiful, beautiful words about who God is. And it starts right there. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Not just Sunday morning. Day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. Declare his marvellous deeds. His extravagant love has done all of those things for us. Our response should be that we cannot contain it inside. You often hear, you know, in movies and and books and that, when when that person, you know, when, when the hero and the heroine, when they fall in love, and they've got this bubble and they're like, I want to shout it from the mountaintops. You know, I love this girl. I want to tell the entire world. That's what we should be with God. We should be shouting it from every rooftop and shouting it from every mountaintop, how much we love him, how much he has done for us. Because what he has done for us eclipses anything that could possibly exist in our world. It eclipses anything that we could read in a book or see in a movie. It's so much bigger than that. And our response should be that we cannot contain it inside us. Because you think about it, we've got the answer. We've got the solution. You know, people always, when, when, when people have been married for like a million years, you know, the question everyone asks, what's the secret to a successful marriage, you know? And depending on the couple, you know, your answers could vary from, you know, time apart to, you know, communicate, all sorts of things. But 
we've got the ultimate secret to everlasting life. And how often do we just sit in here and sing some songs on Sunday morning and then walk out the doors and keep the secret to ourselves? What does it mean in those verses when we say ascribe to the Lord? You know, to be honest with you, those are words that I've read many, many times and really never actually understood, you know, what what I was reading. So I looked up, you know, what ascribe actually means. And um, you'll find, if you look it up, you'll find definitions and it'll be somewhere along the lines of assigning blame or credit or ascribing is to say that um, something is caused by or comes from something or someone. So if we keep that thought in our mind and we talk about ascribing glory to God, you know, ascribing the glory due to his name, like, are we somehow saying that we are going to assign glory to God? Like, we're going to be able to give him more glory than he already has? I mean, we've already covered that. Of course, we can't. We can't make him more glorious than he already is. In the context of of scripture and, and the context of when this was all written, when we say a scribe, it means that we're giving him something that only he and he alone deserves. We don't add a measure to his glory by ascribing glory, but we reflect back to him the glory that he has given to us. In a sense, when we ascribe glory that's due to God, we almost become a mirror. So we stand in front of God and we reflect back to him the glory that he has presented and given to us. And the way we do this is through our worship. The way we do this is through that daily interaction to participate in life with Jesus. There's 10,080 minutes in every week. How many of those minutes in your life are you a mirror? How many of those minutes do you reflect back the glory to God that he has blessed you with? How many minutes do you act in extravagant love and extreme submission? How you choose to actually participate in that worship is completely up to you. What you actually do, what you say, how you present, that's 100% on you. It's 100% your choice. No one can make that for you. No one can force you into it. Because God doesn't want to force, force you to participate in life with him. That's not what he's about. He gave you the choice to choose. Just because he's sitting there every day going... I'm here, I'm ready to play, I'm ready to hang out, let's go do some fun stuff together. You have to choose to accept that invitation. It's up to you to choose how many of your 10,080 minutes are going to be spent actively participating in life with Jesus. Is your worship only about ascribing glory to God for 80 minutes a week? So I want to challenge you today, and this goes for me too, like everyone. I want to challenge us to act 
actively choose to participate in life every single day with Jesus. I want to challenge us to become mirrors. Reflect back the glory that God has presented to us. We sometimes sing a song called Reckless Love that talks about scripture where, you know, God abandons the 99 sheep to go in search of the one. And and logically, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to abandon the herd and potentially put them at risk and risk your own life and then the risk of the 99 in order to go searching for this one little stupid lost sheep who wasn't smart enough to stay with the group. But that's us. We're the one. And for every single person in this room, Jesus has left the 99 to go looking for you. For every single person here. And for every person outside of this room who hasn't been found by him yet, he's still looking. He's still gone searching for those ones. That's the extravagant love that God shows us. When Jesus died on the cross for us, when he took the penalty and the payment for all of the stuff that we have done and will do wrong in our lives, that was the extreme submission of the love of God. That wasn't an enjoyable experience for him to go through. And we can see, even in Scripture, hours before it happened, Jesus was saying to God himself, man, if there is any other way we can do this. You know, I I get what has to happen here, I get the price, but if there is any other way, is there afterpay or, you know, like something like that going on? Can we put this on credit and, or maybe put it on lay-by? Like, is there another way that we can make the payment for this? Because I don't really want to go through this, if I'm honest. And God said, sorry, son, this is it. This is the only way. He still could have said no. Jesus still could have said no. Do we ever think about that? Even when he was up on the cross and all the people were yelling taunts at him, well, if you're the son of God, why don't you just get down off the cross? He could have done that. He could have went, yeah, I'm tapping out. I'm done. Sorry. You guys are on your own. We'll just continue with the old sacrifice system and, you know, maybe we'll try this again in a few thousand years. He could have done that, but he didn't. The extravagant love, the extreme submission, we've been shown what that looks like. Now, I'm not saying you need to go and jump up on a cross you know, and, and go through the horrific things that Jesus went through in order to show your extravagant love for God, unless he calls you to do that. But we've been given the example of what God was willing to go to, the depths that he was willing to go to in order to show us his love. So again, I want to challenge you, how many of your 10,080 minutes are you spending participating in life with Jesus? How many of those 10,080 minutes are you truly ascribing 
the glory that's due to God's name? How many of those 10,080 minutes are you screaming from the rooftops how much you love God? And again, that can look however you need it to look. The pastor of my dad's church up in Queensland, one of the things he does is he goes down to the parklands in their local town on Saturday afternoon and he's the guy standing up on a soapbox preaching the word of God. I mean, if I'm honest, I walk past those guys and think, you are just crazy. But he is so passionate about sharing the word of God that that's how he chooses to do it. More power to him. Honestly, I don't think I'd have the boldness to be able to do that. But he does, and he loves it. And people stop. They might only stop for 30 seconds, but in that 30 seconds, maybe they've planted a seed in their hearts and in their minds that will one day grow into a knowledge of God. Who knows? That's one of the ways that this man chooses to shout from the rooftops or shout from his soapbox how much he loves God. For other people, it's just a simple thing of making friendships with people and showing them the generosity and love and grace that God has shown them in the hope that one day they will get to be able to talk to them about their belief in God. It can be all sorts of things. It can be whatever is on your heart to do it. But you need to do it. You need to make that choice to participate. Because like I said, God's not going to force you to do it. Only you can make the choice to interact with him. He is standing there every day with his arms open wide going, come on, let's go. Let's hang out. Let's do this. Let's do life together. It's up to you to take the step and walk through. So how many of your 10,080 minutes are you spending actively participating with God? And if you're not spending enough, start doing some more. And you know what? Start it out small. I got a friend who, when he wakes up in the morning, first thing he does when he opens his eyes is he says, Dear God. And then the last thing he does before he goes to bed at night is he says, Amen. And he did that as a conscious thought to make his entire day a prayer. And what it did is it put things in his mind with all the interactions with people that he was having throughout the day that he was also in an open dialogue with God. He was in an open prayer with God. And so all of a sudden he started consciously thinking about the way he was interacting with people and going, am I reflecting God to this person right now? And it took a while, but he was talking to me and he said, after probably a couple of months, people were commenting to him about how his whole persona had changed. He worked in a really corporate environment, um, and in all honesty, he was known as a bit of an ass, you know, to most people. He, he wasn't a nice guy in that corporate environment. Outside of it, though, he was like a teddy bear. He was an angel really really lovely guy but in this corporate environment where it was you know dog eat dog and it was really cutthroat he kind of took on this persona of being this really harsh ungracious inflexible person but when he started thinking about being conscious about how am I interacting with people and am I showing the graciousness of God in these interactions it changed him his his true self started to come through and what he also found was as people were 
um, you know, as people were noticing these changes in him, they started treating him differently. He started getting opportunities at work. He was invited to join some project teams and, you know, all of these, all of these things started to change because people started to see him for who he really was. And he didn't have to put up this big fake persona to try and fit in. It was all of a sudden okay to go against the grain. It was okay for him to be different. And people started saying, what's happening? Some people actually started saying, like, are you dying? Like, are you sick? Like, because all of a sudden you've become this really nice person, you know, like, has your outlook on life changed? They, they thought he had cancer or something like that because of just this massive change in who he was. And he, and he sort of, after a while, started to talk about it because it took him quite a while to piece together what had happened. And he just sat down one day and he said, you know what, for the first time since I've worked here, I'm being me. And that's okay. He chose to interact with Jesus every minute of every day by just saying three simple words, Dear God, Amen. And they bookended his day. And for him, that was enough. For him, that was enough to trigger you know, that interaction. So what's it going to be for you? And as I said, you're the only one who can determine what it is for you. But you've got 10,080 minutes every week. How are you going to spend them? Let's pray. Lord, words alone can't express how we feel about what you've done for us. Lord, the way that you show the extravagance of your love every single day to this world. Lord, words can't express. Lord, we thank you so much that you are not just some piece of wood or piece of metal that sits on a mantle that we pray to in the hope that something might happen. Lord, we thank you that we get to worship and praise and live with and for a God who's alive and a God who is all-powerful and a God that brought the universe into being. A God who went to extraordinary lengths to repair relationship with his creation. A God who went to extraordinary lengths to bring us back into relationship with him, to stand there every morning and say, I love you. Lord, as we think about how we can use the 10,080 minutes that you've given us every week, Lord, we pray that our hearts and our minds would just be turned towards you. Challenge us to actively participate with Jesus every day. Challenge us to share the love that we have through you. Challenge us to be more like a mirror as we ascribe glory that is due only to you. Challenge us to stand on the rooftops and shout to the world around us in whatever way we can how much we love you, how much you have done for, the, for us. And help us, to, help us to show that you are a God who leaves the 99 and goes and looks for the one because we were that one. Lord, we thank you so much that we get the opportunity every day to choose to interact with you 
and do life with you and not just be Sunday Christians. Lord, challenge us to go harder and stronger in your extravagant love through extreme submission. In Jesus' name, amen.